0: They will come from all nations, from every generation. Side by side, they will march into the celestial city of Jehovah, and in perfect harmony, they will begin humming a new song, a song composed by God, arranged for His children. As the saved by grace approach the land of the dreams, the host of heaven will step aside. Even the angels will be silent, for they cannot sing this new song, for it is a song reserved for voices. Cried out for the Redeemer, those washed in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, these are the Redeemer. I am.
1: an amazing message in that song. If you have your Bibles, and I'm sure you do, uh, would you please open them to the book of 2 Corinthians. This is part five and the final lesson of our series called Surviving Survival Mode. We've been dealing with the question, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? Uh, What do you do when the doctor comes in and says, I'm sorry, but the test came back confirming that you are indeed in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's, and we can maybe help slow the progression, but we can't stop it? Or what do you do when your marriage has lost that spark, and you're just going through the emotions at best, but your spouse doesn't care and won't take any steps to get help? What do you do, and this is painful, when you watch your kids go down the wrong road, and you've tried to intervene? but have been pushed away and all you can do is watch while they self-destruct. I think we've all had those situations come into our lives where nothing could be done except to just pray and wait and hope and cry. So for the last several weeks, we've been on that journey, seeking answers from the Word. Today, as we wrap up our series, we want to come at this topic from kind of a different perspective, a different angle and Maybe conclude with uh, kind of an unexpected spin on things. So it's not just my words to be able to speak with some level of authority. Uh, again, book of Second Corinthians. and let me just try to get us headed in the right direction. What are the perks of being a pastor? is that we get invited to participate in a lot of joyful occasions. We get to celebrate weddings. I did one yesterday, and the reception was at the Gobbler's Roost. And for those of you that are watching online, out of state, uh, if you think that the Gobbler's Roost just sounds like a little redneck place for Missouri hillbillies, it's okay to go ahead and think that. Uh, but but if you really want a comparison, uh, go ahead, you know, just think of the a high-end, the best high-end steak restaurant in your area, that's probably the equivalent of of our Gobbler's Roost. But celebrations like those are occasional perks of pastors. Another perk is that we also get to do baby dedications. Um, I I did one a couple of weeks ago, and as many babies as we're having born in our our church these days, we'll probably have uh, a few more in the coming weeks. And they are so much fun, unless they're fussing. <laughs> and then we get invitations to attend graduations and graduation parties. And we had a month ago, I think we had six or eight of them to go to in a weekend. Those are a few of the perks of being a pastor. But not all of the invitations that we get as pastors involve celebrations, because far too often, we're also invited into people's lives where there is hurt and tragedy. We're, we're invited to pray with people before they go into serious surgeries that many times will have life-changing implications. We're invited into emergency rooms where families are, are pacing back and forth, wondering, will the doctor be able to restart the heart of their dad or their mom or their spouse? We're invited to the scenes of accidents that have so suddenly taken the lives of loved ones. We're invited to gather with friends and families as they say goodbye to their loved one. As this past Thursday, three days ago in Kansas City, I was invited to help give comfort the funeral of this 41-year-old wife and mother of a two-year-old son. And what I've noticed is it seems that people always expect pastors to have the right words. You know, a few weeks ago, we were called to the scene of a two-car crash. Craig, you were there, and the one who had caused the crash fled the scene. And as seems to happen so frequently, the driver of the other car, the, the one who was the innocent victim, was the one that was hurt. And as they were trying to get her out of the car, her pain was off the charts, and she was crying out. She probably had multiple fractures, and, and so they, they said, Joe, um, while we're trying to stabilize her and get her out of the car, would you please climb into that mangled car with her? Just talk with her and comfort her and distract her while we're trying to work on her and be able to get her out of the car and over to the helicopter that had landed in the field. And I'm sure that most pastors are way better at this than I am, and and Craig actually is one of the best I have ever seen just to know what to say. And, and, uh, but many times when, when I'm put in situations like that, it, it's like, okay, what do I say? And I rack my brain and, and pray, God, help me say something that seems to not just be totally stupid. And, but, but it still seems that way too many times what comes out of my mouth just is so hollow and, and so shallow and so trite. I remember a little over 12 years ago... There was a man in his mid to late 20s and he and his wife had started occasionally coming to this church. He was involved in a fatal car crash. He had worked all night in Nevada was on his way home to his wife and and child. He fell asleep at the wheel, crashed, was thrown out of the vehicle into the middle of Highway 54. And if I remember, remember correctly, he was hit by another car after being thrown out. And None of The family's here today after that. Uh, the the widow sold out, relocated to another part of the country to get a new start in life. But uh, it was one of those situations where, where this man uh, more than likely was killed on the first impact even before being hit by the other car. But this family had a very checkered, drug-filled past. And and, and, and again, they were trying to do better. They just started coming to church, but, but it was heart-wrenching for me, and, and, and I began wondering, you know, did I do everything possible to lead this man to Jesus, and was he ready to meet Jesus because there would have been no chance to say a quick 11th hour prayer before his life was taken. But anyway, 12 years ago, and even though I was not young, I had dealt with, you know, tragic events like this plenty of times before, yet I just have to tell you, I felt like a rookie. Uh, and I was at a loss for words to bring comfort to the family, and there at the Nevada Regional Medical Center, I'll never forget, I was sitting there in a little room with this wife and child, and she was begging the hospital staff to let her go in there and spend some time with him, and they they, they said, "Ma'am, that, that wouldn't be a good thing, and, and, and I tried to talk her out of it as well, because his body had gone, gone through a very significant amount of trauma, but she kept insisting and begging, and they finally said, okay, give us a few minutes to try to make him more presentable, and then you can come in, and after a few minutes, they came out and said, okay, ma'am, just be prepared, uh, but you can go in now, and she wanted me to go in with her, and so the two of us, and if I, and again, it's been 12 years ago, but if I remember correctly, she insisted and pretty much took her several-month-old child and just barged in there, and those thirty to forty five minutes <laughs> that she was in there with him, she was crying and talking with him and caressing him, embracing him, and I remember so clearly that those were some of the longest and the most awkward moments of my life. Uh, I-, I felt I had nothing to offer i I couldn't think of anything to say that would help bring comfort to her. Anything I said just felt so shallow, so empty. And You know, that was 12 years ago. And since that time, I, I think, I, at least I hope, I've continued to learn a little bit. Unfortunately, I've dealt with many other equally tragic situations since then. So if you look at experience, I'm more experienced. But yet, when I'm called upon to help bring comfort in those tragic situations, I still feel like a rookie, I still don't know what to say. I still find myself praying, Lord, give me something to say that will help bring comfort to this family. And I know the textbook answers. You know, I've taken different chaplaincy courses where they teach you what to say and what to do and what not to do and what not to say. And I I know what the textbook says, but what I found is that textbook answers during tragedies, they are so hollow and sometimes meaningless. And so, even as someone who has been in ministry for 35 years, I still struggle finding the right words to help bring comfort in times of tragedy. But here's something that I've learned that, that I know for sure, something that I've learned over the last 35 years, and, and this is where we're headed today. I, I've learned about something that the Bible refers to in the book of Philippians, and, and, and this won't be the scripture that we will anchor our thoughts on, but. The context is a little bit different than the direction we're going today. But there's a phrase in in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 that's called this the fellowship of sufferings. The fellowship of sufferings. And this particular scripture deals with with sharing the fellowship of sufferings with Christ. but, but, But the fellowship of suffering is sort of like this. Let me just kind of narrow it down. Here's what it is. It's a natural bond between those who have suffered deeply and have suffered similarly. In other words, it's it's a natural, automatic connection between those who have been through similar heartache. And for those who have gone through similar tragedies or or similar circumstances, I, I found that even if they don't know each other's names, yet there's a quick and a natural bond that forms between people who have suffered deeply and suffered similarly. You know, as a pastor, I don't always have that natural bond. I, I, I may see them every Sunday. I, uh, I may be able to say what the chaplaincy courses tell me to say in times of tragedy. I can pray with them. I can quote Scripture, and, and there is a place for that. But here's what I found. When a person walks in who has suffered a similar heartache, something takes place that goes beyond chaplaincy training and, and even beyond Bible knowledge, it's the fellowship of sufferings. And it's almost like it doesn't matter what that person says. You know, I can give the right textbook answers, and, and they're appreciative of it. But when a person walks in that has been through something similar, they can say things that you really shouldn't say in situations like that. But it doesn't matter because their presence, the, the, the fellowship of sufferings, the fact that they've experienced the same type of heartache, brings not just sympathy, not just empathy Rather, it brings true comfort and hope. And even though every situation is different, and, and you should never say, and I've, I've said this and you've said this, many of us have said this, we should never say, well, I know exactly what you're going through. D- don't make that mistake because we don't know what they're going through. We might, might have gone through something similar, but, but the emotions are different. Every situation is, is slightly different. So so don't make that mistake of saying, well, I understand what you're going through. We don't understand what they're going through. But when there has been a common heartache and and common heartbreak, the the fellowship of sufferings brings about a deep level of comfort and creates a bond that gives hope and life to the other person. But I want to take that thought one step further. And I want to take us to what is maybe a surprising twist as we close out this series. And after the service this morning, somebody told me that's been in church all of their life. They said, I've never heard this. And this is kind of the surprising twist. And I want to dive in with a one-sentence summary of the rest of this message in case I lose you. Here it is. Comforting others is not only life-giving to the one going through The heartache, but it's also life-giving to the comforter as well. In other words, if you've been through a similar circumstance, when you try to give comfort, you not only help bring life to the other person, but you also bring life to you, to yourself. Because in that moment, that thing that you would never wish upon anybody else, the the situation that you would never choose for yourself, in that moment, as you comfort somebody else, you begin to sense comfort yourself and realize that something good is coming from the hard times that you've gone through. Again, the pastor can say a prayer, the pastor can share a verse. It's all good. But when the fellowship of sufferings takes place with someone that has suffered similarly, it brings a sense of credibility, it brings a sense of authority, and in that moment you begin to have a glimpse of the purpose for your own pain and suffering. Now if you're thinking, Joe, I came to church to feel better and you've taken me lower, hang with us and uh, I'm going to try to dig you out over the next few minutes. Our text in 2 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the first century Christians in the ancient city of Corinth, which today you can actually visit in south-central Greece. And around the end of the first century, 2 Corinthians met the requirements to become one of the canonical books, or in other words, one of the books that fit the criteria to be included in the canon or in the text of the Bible. So let's see what Paul says here. We're going to skip the first two verses they're, they're pretty much the typical greeting. Let's jump in with verse 3. Paul says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. Let's make our first stop. The, the word comfort that Paul uses here and, and throughout this passage, the word comfort is not just a pat on the back. It, it's not just a hug or a Hallmark card. There's a place for that. It's not just, hey, hey let me read you this verse that really ministered to me. And, or it's not just, well, you know, as we say here in this area, you're in my thoughts and prayers. That's not the type of comfort Paul is talking about. Rather, this comfort is, is like empowering empathy. It's, it's comfort that brings courage. It's, it's comfort that brings hope. It's comfort that steadies a person and gives them the ability to go on. So Paul says that in the midst of all the things he faced, you know, being beaten and and, and stoned and shipwrecked, thrown out of cities for preaching the gospel, having a thorn in his flesh that was humiliating and debilitating and permanent that he would talk about 12 chapters later. Paul says despite all of those things that he had gone through or would go through in the future, he still praised his Lord who is a God of compassion and comfort. Verse 4. This God of compassion and comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. So when God chooses to not heal your relative of that disease... When God chooses to not allow you to get that better job, Paul says God will comfort you in all of those situations. Why? Why does he comfort us in our troubles? Well, there's a purpose statement, so that. So that. He comforts us in all our troubles so that. Why? Well, before we read the why, let me take a wild guess as to the why. Why does he comfort us in all of our troubles well, I would think it would be so we'll feel better, you know, so that we won't hurt so much. You know, we're hurting so much whenever a tragedy happens, we're hurting so much. And, and so He comforts us so we can be encouraged, uh, so that we can kind of get our lives back together again and go on. Is that the purpose behind God comforting us in our troubles? Not Totally. He comforts us in all our troubles so that, here it is, we can comfort those in any trouble. One of the major reasons that God comforts us when we're going through hard times is so that we can comfort others. And how do we do that? With the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So this right here is the surprise twist. God, God comforts us in all our troubles, again, not just so we'll feel better about things, not just so we can pick up the pieces and, and get our lives back together again, not just so we can start sleeping at night and get off our stress meds. Rather, He comforts us so that we can comfort others who are going through trouble. Paul says there are times when God is not going to deliver you from it. Rather, God is going to deliver you through it. You can't always bypass trouble and hard times. You will have to go through it. And when He delivers you through it, that's so that you can pass that comfort along to others. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Can we all say that? God comforts us so that we can comfort others? One, two, three. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. So let me ask you a question. This is not a trick question. Why does God comfort you? So that we can comfort others. Some of you flunked that test. I'll give you one more opportunity. Why does God comfort us? Well, then he goes on in verse 5 and says, for just as, and, and, and this right here is kind of the deep theological verse of our passage. It's a little bit complicated. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So here's what Paul was saying. Every human being, regardless of nationality or race or wealth or, or, or lack of wealth, upbringing, every, every human being essentially suffers the same kind of problems in some form or another. Now, now, our problems may play out a little bit in different ways, but we all essentially struggle in the same ways, which means that every way that you have struggled, suffered, Jesus suffered. Jesus got hot. If you haven't been in that Middle Eastern sun, you don't know what hot is. Jesus got hot. Jesus got sweaty. Jesus probably got sunburned. But when the sun goes down there in the desert, it gets cold. Jesus got cold. He got lonely. He got left out. Nobody checked on him to see how he was doing. It was all about what they could get out of him. He was abandoned. He got his feelings hurt. He got betrayed. Everything that you have suffered in life, in some form, Jesus suffered. So the Apostle Paul says, just as there's a relationship between how Jesus' sufferings have also flowed or been manifested in our lives, there is also a relationship where the comfort that Christ experienced from his troubles, you know, being neglected, talked about behind his back, being misunderstood, the comfort that he received during those times also flows into our lives, which in turn should overflow into the lives of others around us. And uh, what that means practically to us is this. Our capacity to comfort others is determined by a degree. Not an educational degree, but by the degree to which we have suffered. Our capacity to comfort other people is determined by the degree to which we have suffered. This is why if you've ever been in a really dark, dark place and someone that hasn't suffered like you, they send you a text and they say, hey, keep your head up, hang in there, you can do this. Most of the time the text is appreciated, but it doesn't bring a lot of comfort because in your mind you're saying, they don't understand. They don't have a clue what I'm going through. And they probably don't. But then, you hear from someone who has been through something similar to what you're going through, and their text of hang in there, and you can make it, gives a deeper level of strength and comfort and understanding and support that you can't get from someone that hasn't been through what you're going through. And so the Apostle Paul says, God is the God of all comfort, and He's going to bring comfort to you either directly or through people, but when the comfort comes to you, remember Remember, the purpose of that comfort isn't simply so you can just feel better and pick up the pieces in your life and go on. The purpose is so you can take that comfort and walk into someone's life, walk into a hospital room, walk into a funeral home, look them in the eye, and maybe not even have the right words to say, but because of the fellowship of sufferings, your presence, maybe even your flimsy attempt at saying something appropriate encourages them, and helps pass on the comfort that you have received from God. Now, one caution I want to give, um, as the fellowship of sufferings allows you to give that comfort, remember this is not the forum for you to shift the focus back to you and tell all the details about what you've gone through. This is not about that. Don't dominate the conversation and tell how bad you had it. You know, I've seen that happen at at, at funerals. Sometimes people who have lost a close relative in the past, they will kind of kidnap the conversation, and instead of trying to comfort the person whose loved one is in the casket at that very moment, they've turned the whole conversation to themselves. Don't do that. That's not what it's about. The focus is on them. But because you have been through similar pain and heartache, you can take the comfort that you receive through your struggle, and let it flow into the person that has just had their world turned upside down. Well, Paul continues on in verse 6. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. Uh, Wait a minute, Paul. So are you saying that all the times you got kicked out of towns, all the times they took big rocks and pitched them at you, all the times you got shipwrecked, even the time that you had some kind of thorn that God wouldn't heal. Are you saying that had a purpose so that those around you could find comfort and salvation? Is that what you're saying? And Paul would say, uh-huh, yeah. But Paul isn't finished with this thread. Because he goes on, he says, if we're comforted, it's for your comfort. In other words, to just keep emphasizing this, the reason we're receiving comfort from God. Remember I've said this four times is not simply so that we'll feel better, so that we won't hurt so much. It goes way beyond that. The comfort God gives us is so that we will be there for others and be a living witness that can say, you can make this. You can get through this. And bringing this down to where we live... This means that some of you, and I want to talk to you and some of you that are listening online. Some of you, because of what you've been through, you have the ability to go to others who, for example, have had their marriage blow up. And you can say, you know what, there is life after divorce. I, I wish like crazy that I didn't have to say this, but I did get a divorce. It was horrible. I thought the sun would never shine again, but I'm here to tell you that I made it through it, and so can you. This means that some of you, because of the fellowship of sufferings, you have the ability to go to others that are in the darkness of depression and say, you know, I don't talk about this much, but I'm a fellow struggler with depression. I have those days when I can barely get out of bed. I have those days when I don't even want to live. But I also want to tell you, God has helped. He hasn't healed me, but God has helped me. And you can make it. That means that some of you that have had cancer, some of you that have had lupus or fibromyalgia or or whatever, you can go to others and tell them, you you know, I've, I've dealt with this or I'm currently dealing with this and, you know, I don't know for sure what you're going through, but I can relate maybe in some ways And it's not easy, but I'm here to tell you that you can lead a normal life and still have fulfillment in life. That means that some of you who have struggled with addictions to alcohol or illegal drugs or prescription drugs or pornography, you can go to others and say, I'm sure I don't understand everything you're going through, but, but, but I think maybe I have a little idea And you can make this, you can go through, you can do it. That means that some of you who have had wayward children, you know, you can go to others and say, you know, there's no judgment. I know a little bit the pain of children going astray. My heart breaks for you. You can look to me as a friend. It's just going to be supportive of you. You know, Paul says, as God gives me the comfort for what I've been through, it's so I can reach out to you and encourage you. And when we do that, Paul says, that produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. So reaching out, extending the comfort you have been given helps people have the courage to go on. And then in verse 7. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So Paul suffered and the people at Corinth suffered in similar sufferings, shared in similar sufferings. Paul was comforted and with the comfort he received from God. And because of fellowship of sufferings, the people shared in his comfort. So, as we start winding down things this morning we started and stopped many times in the four or five verses. Let me take the verses and put them back together. And I want to read them without stopping. And I believe that in this letter to the church at Corinth and the letter to the church at Eldreda Springs, for some of you will find life-giving words, because for some of you, they will help you find some purpose despite your pain, These words may be baby steps in discovering why God didn't heal you or why God didn't take away your depression or why God didn't heal your loved one that passed away or why God didn't help you get that job. It's because of the fellowship of sufferings. You've gone through some really hard stuff and it wasn't easy, but God has helped you and hopefully this passage helped you to realize that God has designed comfort as something to not only be received, but to to be passed along. So let me read these verses to you again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? Why? Well, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. So as you try to survive survival mode, as you go through things and there's no way forward, no way backwards, here's what Paul would tell us. Comfort those who need comforting with the comfort you have received. Comfort those who need comforting with the comfort that you have received. And not only will the other person begin to find hope for life again, but you will find yourself being energized because your pain has not been in vain. So as we conclude this series, there will be those times when you can't bypass the trouble. There will be times when you feel like you're just... Surviving. There will be those times when someone asks you, how are you doing? And you say, well, I'm here. There will be those times when you want to fix something, but you can't. There will be those times of frustration and pain and sorrow and discouragement and even depression. But during those times, even if you forget everything else we've talked about over the past five weeks, I want to close with the words of the psalmist. Just a powerful, powerful verse here. Psalm 43, 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Can anybody relate? Why are you downcast? God, I'm so down right now. I'm just struggling. And he he says, Why are you so disturbed within me? Why, Why are you so troubled? Why am I so troubled? If that's you, here's what the psalmist would say Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Can I read that again? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? We can relate to that. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So, would you keep hoping? Would you keep trusting? Would you keep praying? And would you keep praising? There is sustaining grace for every situation you might go through. Let's pray together. Oh God, I I think that all of us can relate to the first part of that verse in Psalm. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? God, why am I so troubled? Why am I so discouraged? Why am I so down? Why am I so depressed? Lord, for those of us that fit that, I pray that right now, we would put our hope in God. Lord, we will still praise Him. Lord, sometimes we can't pray our way through it, but we can praise our way through it. Lord, let us praise you, our Savior and our God. Lord, we know that they're sustaining grace. So God, for those that are going through the health issues, for those that are going through the emotional issues, the addiction issues, Lord, the marriage issues, the financial issues, for those that are just so troubled and they may may not even know why. Sometimes, Lord, we're down and we don't even know why. We can't even put our finger on it, but we're just down. God, I pray that we would begin to praise. Lord, that we would just allow the sustaining grace to envelop us. Lord, during those times when we're just surviving, can't go forward, can't go backwards, can't fix it. Nothing we can do except pray and praise. Lord, would you just give us a sense of your presence? And God, as you begin to give us that comfort. I pray that we would not keep it to ourselves. pray that we would understand this, not just so that we will feel better, but I pray that we would understand it so we can share that comfort with others. God, that's your plan for us as your people. Take the comfort that we receive and pass it on to others. Let us do so, I pray, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have an amazing week. And uh, we will see you VBSers this evening. Go with God. You're dismissed.